0: Well, good morning. Breakfast with the broker every Tuesday morning at nine a.m. Uh, you know we have a we have a very special guest. Uh, last week we had what the meteorologist, the surfing meteorologist. Well, now we have um, a real estate extraordinaire in in Canada. So, uh, without further ado, and now by way of Toronto, Canada, he is the the chief strategist of Remax Integra in Ontario, which is no. Uh, He is a Carleton University graduate, he is a father, a son, a husband, and he is a don't mess with the Zohan fan. Did someone say Trailer Park Boys too? Stand up
1: and make some noise for Christopher Alexander! David, thank you. That introduction was awesome.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know, the funny thing is, is I'm, I'm talking about REMAX Integra, and then I'm like, wait a minute, did REMAX LLC buy REMAX Integra? Or not, and then I realized it was Canada, so I'm good.
1: No, they did. They they bought Canada too. So, uh, oh,
0: uh, all right. So uh, I am sorry. You're uh, you're now a you, you've been uh, roped into that Remax LLC.
1: So you're uh, good. Yes, <laughs> it's, it's been uh, it's been a great transition, and we can talk about that a little later if you want. Yeah, but, um, absolutely. Things are going very well. Awesome. So I mean, you know, pre-pandemic. Uh,
0: you know, Toronto was probably one of the hottest markets, um, maybe, you know, it's in, in, in certainly in North America, right? So like, the, you know, Toronto's always been, you know, development and, 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 you know, beautiful condos and people wanting to be there and just so very, you know, it's pretty expensive to live. Tell us a little bit of how, um, you know, t- the Toronto market is cr- uh, currently.
1: Well, um, you brought up a couple of interesting points, David. I mean, and, and I think it's important to point out that, in Canada and specifically Ontario, which is the province that Toronto is located in, has been on a upward price trajectory for more than 25 years. Um, And most recently in the last decade, uh, prices have more than doubled. And so yes, in, in 2008, we had about six months of low consumer confidence, which led to a slight softening but since then it has been a wild ride. And the story has really been much what what most of the United States is experiencing, and that is very low inventory, extreme demand, and upward pressure on prices.
0: Do you have an idea? And I'm sorry to put you on the spot. I probably should have asked you. But do you have an idea of you know average sale price, you know, in in Toronto? You know, just to give us a little bit of a you know, a number that kind of, kind of, that we could come close to, you know, even if it's an estimate.
1: So I have the exact numbers. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we just uh, released a big report uh, yesterday. Uh, we call it the hot pockets report and it, it, it uh, encompasses the greater Toronto area, which is uh, basically just over 6 million people. The city of Toronto is just under 3 million people and the surrounding suburbs um, uh, make up the rest of that population base. But in the city of Toronto, uh, the average price is 1.1 million in change, uh, and for detached homes, it's 1.4 million. And so, um, you know, some of you might be thinking, Oh my gosh, that is huge! Uh, But you have to remember, uh, in Canada, we're Basically, on the peso, and our dollar is worth about 20% to 30% less than yours at any given time. So, it's still from an international buyer's perspective um, at a discount, especially when you compare it to some of the more expensive markets in the US. Yeah. I mean, uh, look, you look at Boca Raton,
0: um, you know, uh, we're not doing year over year average sale price, but um, I did the last 30 days uh, of closed sales and the average sale was over a million dollars. So, you know, um, that was the average, it wasn't the median. So, um, you know, you know, cause there are some 20, $30 million, um, uh, prices, uh, that have closed, you know, in the last 30 days. So, you know, that certainly skews it, but, you know, it, you know, Toronto's market has always been, you know, really, really strong, you know, like you said, for, for so many years, you know, what do you attribute that to? I mean, obviously it's, you know, you know, just like, you know, regular, simple economics is supply and demand, but, um, you know, what attracts people to Toronto? What attracts, uh, people to, um, Ontario?
1: Well, I mean, Canada's got a supply issue across the country and our government has been really big on encouraging immigration. We typically get about 300,000, uh, new Canadians every year. Um, but the, the big, uh, Difference in in what a lot of other countries do is you have to be highly qualified to uh, make it in, and become an immigrant to Canada. So you have to have uh, an education. You have to be entering with with a job most of the time. And so a lot of the immigrants that we get are um, you know highly qualified. They have some money and are able to enter the real estate market. Um, pretty quickly. it usually takes them about two or three years. So that's one factor. And the other thing is out of that 300,000, about a hundred thousand of those end up in the greater Toronto area. And so our, our three levels of government in, in Ontario, the municipal level in Toronto, the provincial level, and the federal level have been really, um, trying to get Toronto onto the world stage they've made huge investments in infrastructure. I mean, development has gone crazy. Um, there were many years where Toronto had more cranes in the ground, um, and, or in the sky rather than anywhere else in North America. And so, and, and by a good, good medium, I mean, we, I think we, at one point we had 145 cranes and I think New York city was second and they had like 110. So, uh, there's been a huge effort to really make Toronto a, a an international uh, city and attractive place to live. But also, um, you know, we got good schools, very low crime. Um, you know, for example, if our murder rate gets over, you know, if there, if there are more than 80 people a year that get murdered in the city of Toronto um, it's, you know, huge news. And in contrast to Chicago where there's like, you know, over a thousand um you know it's it's it, you know quite a difference so for a major city to uh, that offers such a great quality of life it's been attractive and plus the schools are really good there's a really big international influence um you've got chinese uh, buyers sending their kids to school here and buying them like three four million dollar houses to go to school um it was just like your dorm right it was yeah. just like your dorm you know, <laughs> the same things so uh you know there's been a lot of uh, a lot of international influence and it's really just been a perfect storm and to the you know discredit to those three levels of government i've i've been talking about there's been no national or or provincial or municipal housing strategy you know, they can only build 44,000 units a year, both. And that includes both condos and freehold. And so it's been a big challenge for, um, the city to accommodate all these new people building can't keep up and there's no strategy to take the pressure off. So I expect that prices are going to continue to go up for the foreseeable future as well. Well, that's
0: pretty interesting. So the government caps the amount of houses that need to be, uh, uh, or that can be come out of the ground every year. Um, they don't cap
1: it. They just, the developers only have so much capacity.
0: Oh, uh, okay. All
1: right. And that's, yeah. So 44,000 units a year.
0: That's crazy. So yeah, that, uh, that'll give you, you know, a hundred thousand people coming in with 44,000, you know, they're probably not always hitting the 44,000, you know, as well, you know, so yeah, that's a, that's a big, uh, demand problem. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, um, you know, we're we're so close in proximity, right? You know, and I look at, uh, you know, I was up in uh, Montreal and then I took the train over to Toronto and, you know, went to Niagara Falls and all all, all these things that, you know, and I mean, Canada is just, you know, beautiful in and, and every which way and they, they do an amazing job, you know, but their, you know, their transit system is really clean. You know, it's just different because, you know, when you go in New York <laughs> or you go into some of these big cities, always clean right so um you know tell us a little bit about the transit system um in uh you know in canada and um you know you know is it easy access and stuff you know stuff like that because i found it so easy to go around the city yeah i
1: I mean there's been um you know you can you can fly pretty much anywhere in in the country easily accept. it's much more expensive because you don't have the population base um and and they're really outside of toronto montreal and vancouver there aren't um big international or even regional hubs outside of those three airports and right now because of covid uh the government has chosen to only make toronto vancouver montreal and calgary international airports and so there's huge strain on people entering the country uh, from from outside of Canada. I've mean, been hearing a lot of horror stories uh, about uh, in the Toronto Airport, people waiting for two or three hours on the tarmac. They get in the in the terminal, they're waiting another couple hours to clear customs. Um, but in in normal times, yes, it's very accessible. Um, some of it is kind of outdated. I mean, Toronto's had all this growth, for example. And they haven't really made the as good of an investment in infrastructure as they should have. Um, you know, a city of three million people, we've only got two two subway lines, and the rest are all streetcars. And yes, you can access. It's actually a very well set up system when there's no traffic, and uh, <laughs> fewer, few, you know low ridership. Uh, Like during the height of COVID, you could go anywhere in the city in like 10 minutes. But in a normal time, that 10 minutes can take, you know, 45 to an hour. So, um, you know, there's some great things about it. Yes, things are clean. You know, Montreal, Toronto, Vancouver. Well, not so much Vancouver. I was there recently and was pretty shocked at the cleanliness. But, you know, before Toronto made this big development investment, um, its claim to fame was that it was such a clean city. And um, they've they've really tried to make an effort to keep that reputation.
0: That's great. And so you know we we alluded to the you know the uh, the COVID word, um, you know where uh, you know we're kind of living in the COVID world, right? Um, you know, tell us a little bit about you know how Canada really um, you know because you you never hear it firsthand, right? You hear it through the media and and, and sometimes. There may or may not be an agenda with that and, and whatnot. So, you know, tell us a little bit about how um, you know COVID is doing now um, in, in Canada. You know, um, you know, are you know are the percentages of vaccinations you know are they are they higher maybe pot- potentially than some of the United States? You know, that kind of thing, and and maybe some of the restrictions that um, COVID's put on um, uh, specifically the real estate economy.
1: Well, um, I think you know, just to roll the tape back to March, 2020, March 25th. Uh, that's when things really shut down. And what was very interesting, you know, we, you know, we used to, well, we still, my, my family still owns and operates the brand in Europe too. Um, but you know, Canada, the U S Europe, and much of the world all went through a very similar cycle and that, you know, around in and around March 25th, everything pretty much shut down transactions fell off a cliff, um, as you guys know. Um, but then things really exploded and real estate became not only the hottest topic, but it, would, it to me, it was kind of like the only thing people could really do to spend their time. And so you had a lot of people out there uh, looking for properties and you know, much of what, what everybody else is experiencing. So that was very interesting on a global scale is that COVID kind of equalized the markets across the world, um, but as far as you know, Canada and COVID—I mean, it's pretty. Canadians uh, are pretty hysterical about uh, COVID and the implications. And I say that because you know, I spent recently with the acquisition of Integra. I spent some time in the U.S. in Massachusetts, where our regional offices were, and just the attitude. Of the average American, or at least in, in Massachusetts, was different. And then last week, I was in Texas for the Broker owner Conference, and people have a much more <laughs> what I call common sense approach to things. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Canada, we have this—you know—you're you can die, from, you're allowed to die from anything but COVID <laughs> attitude. <laughs> um, and but but generally speaking, I think. You know our governments had a good response but it's very frustrating when you look to other places that have you know understood that this is something that we have to you know kind of live with and figure out how to live with and we're still very much um you know dealing with it as as you know uh, a very critical severe situation which in in a lot of ways it still is um it's just you know, we're still mask mandates everywhere. Uh, we have capacity limits in Ontario uh, where you can't have more than 25 people in, in, indoors, 100 people outdoors. Um, vaccination rates are really good, especially when you consider we were really late to the party. Um, we were about three months behind the United States when it came to procuring vaccines. and But now uh, nationally, we're at about 65% of the population has uh, both doses and about 79 percent have at least one in Ontario it's even better we're at like 71 percent fully vaxxed and uh, 85 percent with one dose and so uh we're hopeful that um you know we're we're this fall which everybody's seeing the numbers tick up that uh, we'll be able to get through it without having to shut things down like we were in the past and also, I think too, it's important to point out our healthcare system isn't as robust as the United States. I mean, yes, it's "quote unquote" free. We do pay a, a lot of taxes to, to cover those expenses, right? Um, but it, we don't have the the infrastructure, like you know, in that Florida specifically. I mean, that you guys have some incredible medical facilities. Um, some of them, which I've been to personally and, and it's just really on a different level, but um, yeah, we're hoping that, that our vaccination rates are going to carry us through.
0: So you mentioned that the numbers have ticked up, you know, um, um, in Canada as well, you know, you you know we all become medical experts right especially you know as we're all social media trollers, right we we you know we know uh you know we're genealogists and we're uh you know biologists and everything in between um you know so you know looking at the hospitalizations and and some of that and obviously you know neither you or I are medical professionals but you know when you're looking at statistics you know people are saying you know well if you're vaccinated you know you might not um you know, you know, you might get sick, but you, you're not typically getting hospitalized. Do you have any, any idea as far as the COVID numbers ticking up? Um, you know, are they the hospitalizations ticking up as well? You know, that kind of thing, and in, in, you know, just in your area.
1: So in Ontario, they are, we're getting about the last four days, we've seen about 500 to 525 new cases a day. And what they're doing is they're starting to report how many are fully vaxed, half vaxxed, and unvaxed? And what's consistent is about seventy to seventy-five percent uh, are unvaccinated that uh, contract the virus. Um, and everybody is waiting to see what hospitalizations are going to look like. Um, you know, the like we it, what, actually what was really remarkable is two weeks ago our caseload was about a hundred. Um, hundred per day and then all of a sudden bam it got up to 500 so every i think we're going to start to see what where hospitalizations end up but i think everybody in the province is just hoping and praying that um new restrictions whether they come or not are are based on hospitalizations and not caseloads because because the last 18 months everything was mandated on projections of of cases um and yeah there was a while there where the ICUs filled up um so anyways we're we're all hoping and praying for a for a positive outcome awesome so G-
0: gabriela castillo who's uh in nicaragua um you know she mentioned uh you know that um a lot of uh families canadian families are getting priced out of the market um you know cuz uh families just can't afford homes above 600 or 750, which is you know, crazy when you're a kid, you know, 600 to 750 was like, you know, being, you know, a multimillionaire now. But, um, you know, what do you see happening to normal middle-class families in the next two to five years in terms of real estate? And do you think migration abroad is the best immediate answer for these families?
1: Well, I I actually get asked this question a lot um, from the media and there, there needs to be a national housing strategy. Uh, to accommodate the influx of people and the the pricing pressure. And you know we've been saying this for years now, and it's it's got to start with a, from a, all levels of government to come together to come up with a strategy that's going to take some pressure off the three major cities, Toronto, Vancouver, and Montreal. Uh Montreal's still you know half the price of Toronto, uh, which is great on average but the other thing in canada um for the middle class you know starting to discover different parts of the country um is going to be critically important as well i mean calgary uh which is in alberta regina i don't know if any of you know the names of any of these cities they're they're not too they're not too uh, famous but uh regina in saskatchewan calgary um st john's in newfoundland um Halifax and Nova Scotia, all of them have average sale prices of under 400,000. Although Halifax, I think just passed that $400,000 mark this year, Ottawa is still pretty affordable, which is, uh, about four and a half hours north of Toronto. Um, so there's, there's other cities besides Vancouver and Toronto and Montreal that are affordable. But my concern is, um, we're not doing enough as a nation to attract people to, to these other cities.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, I mean, you know,
0: incentives, you know, like certain areas, uh, certainly in Florida, you know, have incentives to bring in businesses, you know, bring in the, you know, the tech realm and, uh, and all these other different businesses, you know, private equity firms, hedge funds, all that kind of stuff you know, and, um, you know, we're very fortunate that, you know, a lot of these municipalities are kind of vying over, you know, where these people are going to put their headquarters or where they're going to put, you know, Amazon's distribution centers and and those kind of things, Um, you know, which would be probably a a pretty good plan uh, for Canada and some of the, uh, you know, if you want to call them suburbia or or more rural areas, um, you know, um, or maybe let maybe more or less well-known areas might be the right uh, right term uh to bring in some of the the businesses because as the businesses come you know certainly employees come then relocation and then people word of mouth and then all of a sudden you know halifax is uh is the next montreal <laughs> <laughs>
1: well you know it's interesting halifax does have an opportunity to kind of be like that next big city um Interesting. I see in Gabriella's comment here from Northern Ontario and Quebec, Eastern Canadian areas, all looking to stay long term. Well, um, is the weather nicer in, in uh, <laughs> Nicaragua, Gabriella? Because <laughs> um, you know Northern Ontario and Quebec can be frigidly cold uh, in the winter, so uh, that doesn't surprise me.
0: Yeah, you know, um, you know, interesting about you know, and Gabriella probably could uh, uh, talk about this more. But you know, when you look at uh, Nicaragua you know, Costa Rica, you know, for, you know, 20 years ago, 15 years ago was, you know, a, a very affordable place. So when you look at, you know, uh, the U.S., uh, a lot of people were going ahead and in, in buying homes in, in Costa Rica. Well, now Costa Rica has become very expensive, um, you know, and a lot of people are buying in Nicaragua and Panama and, and Belize and, and some of those areas, you know, um, you know, the only problem with the, obviously is Nicaragua's, um, you know, government. And, and obviously I'm not as, uh, in tune as, uh, certainly Gabriella would be, but, um, you know, it, you know, and, and I guess that's the reason, you know, you don't really buy in a, ha- in a place where government, um, where, you know, you're not buying the government, but you're also buying stability. I mean, as, as a, you know, as someone who wants to invest in, in potential paradise or want to live there for, you know, second home purposes or whatever, you know, whether it's Canadian or or, or um, United States, you're looking at places that, um, you know, that has some kind of stability in government. And I guess that's why
1: maybe Nicaragua is a little less
0: expensive than uh, than some of the other places. But,
1: you know, don't, don't um, forget work remote, too, David. I mean, yep. there's been a big shift in in the workforce and people can work wherever they want to now for the most part. And yeah, gosh, I'm wondering if it'll, the pendulum will swing back the other way eventually, but, you know, even for myself, like I I might come down to Florida in December for a month and, and work for, for, you know, three weeks of it.
0: Yes. I mean, no people, people's perspective certainly has changed. Um, you know, there are lifestyles, I've certainly changed. You know what's important, obviously, to them has changed, but um, what we've seen is a lot of employers are not wanting to, um, you know, relinquish the control and the management of of, of people um, through the remote process. You know, and um, you know, not everyone, but you know, i speak speaking to tech companies and whatever, and they're you know hiring developers and software programmers, and you know they're they're saying you know all these people want to live in Montana and work for me you know, and make ridiculous amounts of money. And, and you know, I, I don't care what it, I don't care what anyone says. Um, and I might, I'm certainly biased, but I don't believe you can possibly be as productive if you're in the office versus um, being remote. Like you have to, you know, to me, it's you're more focused, depending obviously the culture of the uh, of the office. You know, if it's a little, you know, gossipy and that kind of stuff, you know, then obviously maybe you would be, you know, free of distractions at home without, you know. But I know that, you know, if I went and stayed home with three girls, 16, 12 and nine and two dogs (laughs) and a wife and sports in a refrigerator. Yeah,
1: (laughs) Uh, I'll be way too distracted. (laughs) Well, you know, it's interesting, David. uh, um, So I'm totally an office guy. And I got two little ones at home, and no, no privacy unless you're in a bedroom or a bathroom. But because uh, it's all open concept, so yes, I, I love going to the office. My wife, however, she works very productively at home. But um, you know, you're talking to, talking to our franchisees and our broker owners in in, in Ontario, and you've got two two uh, two sides of the coin. You've got some of our people are saying. I have no more room. Like I got to expand because my agents are all like, I got to get back to the office. I can't stand working at home. And then there are others that are like, I need to shrink because half my agents don't want to come back in. So uh, I'm really curious to see how this plays out long-term.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. It's, um, it's interesting. And, and certainly, uh, you know, um, you know, certain people can uh, can work from home and multitask, and uh, that's not me. Um, so I always end this uh, broadcast um, uh, or podcast slash Facebook live show on two questions. So I don't know if you are a streaming series fan, but what's your favorite streaming series um, of all time? And then, what are you currently watching? TV or radio? Uh, so right now, you know, I would say TV, like Netflix, Hulu, that kind of thing. Um, if you don't watch that, you know, podcasts, radio, books so, that you've read.
1: For TV, I would say um, I love Curb Your Enthusiasm. <laughs> um, <laughs> and what am I watching now? You know, gosh, I, I, you know what? I'll admit I'll be totally transparent. I am in, in the last couple of years uh, since my kids were born, uh it's been very difficult to watch tv without falling asleep so um but what did i watch the other day that was really great um the hundred foot wave on which is an hbo show and it's about uh brian mcnamara i don't know if any of you are surfing fans but uh, he's the guy that discovered um the giant waves in nazare portugal and he held the world record i think he surfed like an 85 foot wave. Oh yeah, very very interesting two part series. That's cool. Um i also love all the espn 30 for 30s. Yep. The, the oj simpson way. one was amazing. Um so but yeah i'm a big sports I, guy and and i just watched
0: too. the one uh was malice in the palace. That was pretty good. I
1: watched that too actually. That, that was yeah. pretty good.
0: Yeah. It was good. It was an interesting take cuz he didn't really Um, You didn't really get some of that behind the scenes footage that, um, you know, um, at the time, obviously. So uh, that was great. Uh, If you haven't seen uh, if you like Curb Your Enthusiasm and like um, you definitely have to check out Ted Lasso. It's freaking great. Okay. It's, uh, it's awesome. It's, it's really funny. It's awesome. And it's got the same kind of sense of humor. Chris, I, I really, really appreciate you coming on here. Um, you know, I thank you for all that you do uh, for uh, REMAX in, in, in Canada. And, um, you know, um, you, you're very highly reputable um, and uh, respected uh, within the industry. And we certainly appreciate you being on. So uh, thank you very much. Thanks um, very much for having me, David. Absolutely. It was great. And it was good to have uh, a lot of insight. So anyway, Breakfast with the Broker, every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Uh, next week, uh, we have another special guest. We might bring in a little bit of politics um, into the uh, mix uh, because we have a, uh, for the state of Florida voter registrations, we have um, a lot of people that um, need affordable housing. And so we have a, we have a solution for that. Um, so next Tuesday, you will uh, see uh, my special guests. So anyway, uh, Breakfast with the Broker every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Thank you, Christopher. I appreciate it. Uh, be well. Have a great week. Take care, guys. Thanks,
1: everybody. Take care.